0: Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you.
1: Hey, Professor Rimink.
0: Hey, Chris. You're looking (laughs) particularly enthusiastic today.
1: Well, why wouldn't I be? We're talking about the Badlands today, you know, so...
0: That's true. You have every reason to be enthusiastic. Let's do some quick introductions here because maybe it's been a little bit. You're Chris Bullheiss, high school teacher extraordinaire, nationally recognized, regionally recognized, won a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of teaching awards, have taught earth science, college level geology, field geology, astronomy, loads of stuff. You're my former high school teacher. And right now, you're probably on the trip that really cemented me wanting to go into geology
1: yeah i am and as you said you're dr jesse remick and you're one of my former students you went on to get your phd actually in geoscience at the university of alberta and you now work at one of the most prestigious geology programs in the country actually and that's impressive um that you know you work at penn state university as a geoscience professor and that's awesome i love that it's i am a lucky SOB to be working at. Penn State. <laughs> um, yes, you they are. They have yes, not realized their mistake
0: yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're That's on this funny. trip. I want to, I want to like sort of double click on this because we're releasing this at the time we're releasing it right now with meaning because you are on this trip right now. And this trip was really fundamental to me getting into geology and i think maybe even you getting into geology because your dad used to teach this trip back in the day when it was a little bit more biology focused right and you went along as a kid and
1: yeah yeah that had nothing to do though with me getting into geology that had more to do with a (laughs) a gifted professor that i had in college that just made our planet come to life description of earthquakes and and volcanoes and and, and tectonics and, you know, what makes this planet work. That was what really did it to me. And he was just so gifted, you know, and it's the power of that.
0: And you were that professor for me at the high school level. So I was really (laughs) very lucky to have someone like you, but this trip you're on it right now. Let me just paint a picture here. You take I think 26 students now from yep. Michigan, you get in a big yellow bus and you drive out to the Western United States and you hit all the big national parks in the sort of Eastern part of the Western United States. So that's Grand Teton national park, Yellowstone national park, glacier national park, all of which we have covered in planet geo before and talked about the geoscience of those parks. So go listen to those, but we're going to talk about the badlands today because this is a stop in, in South Dakota on the way to, what I'm gonna call here the real mountains. But the Badlands are kind of like the warm-up to the mountains, or they at least were for me on this trip because you're driving from Michigan across the prairies, you know, Nebraska, cornfields. Nothing oh, against cornfields, I... but like it's pretty flat. There's a lot of them. And then you hit the Badland and it's like, oh, topography and rocks and fossils and like some actually interesting geology there. As a sort of a warm-up till you hit the real stuff in the Rockies. So we're releasing this while you're on this trip so that, you know, people who are listening can kind of kind of follow along a little bit, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. You described it very well. And in terms of also my approach to this, first of all, I think geology as a field is so easy to sell because all you got to do is go out and see our planet, go see things. We live... In an amazing world, that's what geology is for you and I, is it just makes it come to life. It just, it's just, ah, it's awesome. Anyway, so yeah, we go to the Badlands, it's at day two, you know, and we get there around noon on day two and it's their first exposure. And if you've never been to the Badlands, the way I think of it is I'm this little tiny speck. I'm a, like an <laughs> ant. Okay. And I'm in a gigantic sand castle.
0: Oh, and yeah. that's that, how
1: the Badlands feels to me. You that know? is
0: very apt, Chris. That's very apt right there. Yeah. It's like, it's like beach. You know, you're at the beach and you're digging sand castles and making little sand pits. And, you know, all this stuff is going on. And it's kind of muddy. And it's that's a perfect description. So, what we're talking about specifically here is Badlands National Park, which is in South Dakota. That's capital B, Badlands, the national park, the location. Badlands, lowercase b, is. A geologic feature, actually, a landscape feature. And these are pretty common, or at least let's say they're not uncommon around the world. These things occur. Like most people probably live within driving distance of some Badlands somewhere. And there's a few famous ones, some pinnacles in New Zealand, Kaushan, Taiwan. One of my favorites is called Toadstool Geologic Park in Nebraska, which is a great one. And then there's a big series in Alberta in Red Deer, near the Red Deer River, near where I lived in um, in Edmonton, Alberta. And Chris, I guess, what does it take? Well, could you paint a quick, really quick picture of what Badlands look like? And then lead us into a discussion about what the key components we need to form badlands are what the key geologic features are
1: yeah the only problem with your lead into that is quick i have a hard time doing that (laughs) okay because i'm passionate about this shit it's like this is so good i love the badlands you said it badlands national park in south dakota but you know when we come back On our way back home out of the trip, we we don't travel through South Dakota. We travel through North Dakota and we go to Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota. Those are Badlands also. And you get them in Eastern Montana. We cross Badlands once we leave the Black Hills heading toward the Bighorn Mountains. We cross over these massive mountains and we are in Badlands again in between the Bighorns and Yellowstone. It's like they're all over the place. And so... That begs the question: Well, what does it take, right? Well, we can boil it down, I think, to four things that geologically you got to have. And the first thing is, we got to have an area that is well above sea level. We got to have, you know, erodible materials, and 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 in order to have that, you have to be be well above sea level. Two, you got to have softer sedimentary rocks that are juxtaposed to really harder and more resistant sedimentary rocks. And then we need to have this arid climate. And that's important for t- really two reasons, because in an arid climate, you have a lack of vegetation and vegetation holds things down and anchors things down and really like minimizes weather and erosion. And the other thing with an arid climate is the kind of precipitation you get you know you, you don't get tropical rain kind of precipitation you get cloudburst violent events you know it's short but it's extremely intense and when you get that then that those are the the ingredients for like rapid harsh erosion
0: and chris we sat i remember this cloudburst type thing just so we could paint a picture of this we sat i think we we're at the top of pike's peak batholith we were on a rock climbing trip in colorado and we were up near Pikes Peak overlooking Colorado Springs. And we were watching this amazing anvil shaped thunderhead move across the prairies to the east. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Like, If you've lived – if you've traveled across any kind of prairie land in North America especially, you get this all the time where you get these huge thunderheads that pile up and they move across the landscape and they just dump torrents of rain for about 15 minutes onto the land and then they go away. And that's that's what we're talking about with this cloudburst. Like really intense, really short-lived rain. And I just remember sitting there, Chris, we're looking back East, the sun is setting behind us and it's just lighting up this huge anvil shaped thunderhead miles and miles away to the East, just dumping torrents of rain onto the prairies. And we're sitting on this mountain overlooking. It was a beautiful, beautiful view.
1: Uh, you and I have so many memories together that are just, they, they warmed the heart. Okay. I, love that. <laughs> I remember true. exactly what you're talking about. One of the thing about this cloudburst thing in the Badlands, it is so dry that when you get these storms, it often is rocking and rolling above you. You can smell it, you can hear it, but it's not hitting you because it's evaporating before it hits the ground. And that's a common occurrence in a place like this where this all this stuff is going on, but it's not making its way to the ground. And obviously, the longer this goes on, the closer it gets to hitting the ground. But that's a really cool experience to see a storm above you and still stay dry.
0: And that brings us to the fourth point of what you really need to create Badlands, lowercase b, this geographic feature, is that you typically need something like shale or clay at the surface And that is a rock that is very impermeable. So meaning water can't flow through it very quickly at all. But that is really essential for bad land formation because what it means is that when you get this really heavy downpour of rain, it doesn't seep into the ground, it flows across it. Think concrete compared to grass. It'll flow across the surface. And when it flows across the surface, it starts to erode stuff physically, meaning taking grains and moving them downstream. Like you think of a gravel road that has those little rivulets that form in a heavy rain and it's washing material downstream as opposed to percolating through it. That's really important for forming badlands because badlands have some of the highest erosion rates out there in the world, meaning the most amount of sediment being removed per unit time out there. And what is it in the Badlands National Park? It's like one inch per year or something like that. I mean, it's crazy Yeah, it's over that.
1: It's almost, in some areas, it's over eight inches a year. Oh, my
0: goodness. Eight inches per year. And that that really highlights the fact that actually we can form these anthropogenically. There are human-induced Badlands in the world, some famous ones in northern Spain from Roman mining activity, and also some pretty famous ones in Ontario, Canada from overgrazing, and uh, sort of poor farming practices, which removed all the vegetation. The rocks underneath it were ripe for forming badlands. And once the vegetation is gone, erosion starts to take over and boom, the system's done. Like it's in a badland formation. You're going to have rapid erosion until you kind of either replant some trees or stabilize the landscape. So, all right, that's what we need to have badlands. Those four things. We need to have Land above sea level, we need to have soft sedimentary rocks, we need to have arid climate with this cloudburst rain, and we need to have some impermeable sediment layer at the top like shale or clay. Chris, let's work through the geologic story of Badlands National Park, now capital B, Badlands National Park in South Dakota. Where do we start with these rocks?
1: Well, geologically, we always start at the bottom especially when we're talking about sedimentary rocks, because the bottom is the first page of the book. The bottom is the oldest. And we got to start at the beginning. In the Badlands, and it's really in the Badlands only, because there are older rocks that are in other areas of that part of the country. But in the Badlands, we start with a layer of rock that is roughly 80 million years old, and it's deposited by the Western Interior Seaway. And this is a a seaway that it's a shallow sea, you know, it transgressed and regressed. It got deeper and shallower and, you know, the biology kind of went with the shifting shorelines that was going on, but it extended from the Gulf of Mexico to the Arctic ocean in the Western part of what is now North America. It also extended like from an East West standpoint, it extended from Wyoming from the Wyoming-Idaho boundary to the Mississippi River Basin there. So, like, it was really, like, long and skinny. That was depositing this layer of rock that is known as the pure shale.
0: And that's Pierre, but it's spelled like Pierre. I always think of it, P-I-E-R-R-E, <laughs> shale. So you might see it, you know, spelled and think, oh, that's not what we're saying. But we're saying Pierre shale, but it looks like Pierre. Pierre yeah, A.
1: right. It does, and they're very they're very funny about that. It's it... <laughs>
0: so. This is the bottom. What does the rock look like? I mean, how would you identify it when you're out there hiking in the Badlands?
1: So the pure shale is in the Badlands. The top part of it is this like bright yellow lavender kind of color. We'll get into that in a second and to why that is the case, but everywhere else it's this dark gray. It's almost this bluish gray to black, like organic rich, weak, soft, wimpy, crumbly shale, typical shale rock. But the cool part about it is that it has fossils. Now remember what we're talking about, right? We're talking about South Dakota. And it has fossils in it that are amazing. Fossils like plesiosaurs. These things are, you know, they were patrolling the sea. These were 80 feet long, shallow marine saltwater organisms and, you know, just like incredible things. There were turtles, there were sharks, just this amazing diversity of fossils that lived in this sea at this time, which is like, to me, I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's amazing because... It looks nothing like what it does today. We're talking about a, a landscape that is well above sea level and about as dry and opposite of the conditions as you can get, right? So there's the pure shale. That's the bottommost layer that you're going to find in the Badlands. So what's next? What happens? So
0: we got to touch on the top of the pure shale, which you kind of talked about as this yellow layer, right? And this represents erosion, chemical erosion now at the surface so think of this black shale layer which is being deposited in this shallow sea now all of a sudden that land is uplifted and that shale is now exposed to the surface meaning the atmospheric conditions and that causes that's right
1: so jesse what exposed this shale because you said that it's this you know yellow it's it's chemically altered but that happens when it's exposed to the elements what did this what what's next
0: Yeah, so this is the Laramide Orogeny. And we've talked about this before. We've talked about this with the Tetons. We've talked a little bit about it with Yellowstone. But the Laramide Orogeny is this mountain building event that took place all across the Western United States. And this had a lot to do with. Oceanic plate subducting underneath the North American continent, moving from west to east underneath of North America. Most people think it probably had a flat subduction regime. So this is a an oceanic plate that kind of slid underneath. Oh, we're the using continent. big
1: words right now. I see <laughs> a, a flat subduction regime. Wow. Yes, this is <laughs> getting after all. You're a professor, us right now. I can I
0: can feel it. <laughs> Okay, okay, all right, all right. I'll dial it back, dial it back. <laughs> it down, Jesse. Calm down, calm down, Jesse. <laughs> so oh it, this gosh. is, think of, I don't know, what's a good analogy? Chris, you probably have a great analogy of this, but it's one oceanic plate sliding underneath the continent and it's kind like of pushing sliver. the continent up. A sliver. Oh, yeah, a sliver like, underneath your fingernail. Yeah, That's a great one. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That's a very painful analogy to go for, but it works. <laughs> just,
1: I don't like thinking about it. you
0: right. You're right, exactly. It's taking a piece of oceanic crust, shoving it underneath of the continental crust, which pushes up the continental crust. So this uplift across a very broad region was going on. And this was, you know, started around 65 to 70 million years ago, continued for a few tens of millions of years and created this uplift, which exposed these rocks and created the potential for chemical erosion that you referenced.
1: That's right. However, a massive event happened 65 million years ago. Our planet was met with a massive catastrophe and that was the meteor, the asteroid impact that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. So at this time, 65 million years ago, we had a lot going on, right? (laughs) This is a lot that's happening. We have this, mountain building event that really uh, shaped the Western part of the United States as we know it today. We have the sea that is being drained by this uplift because you uplift the land, the sea goes away. And then a meteor hits that is just game changing. It's a bad day to be alive on the planet during this time. And at this time, then all dinosaurs, all flying reptiles just essentially vanished in a very short period of time in the sea life was dramatically changed ammonites mosasaurs which are these large swimming reptiles they were like kind of important in terms of Wegener's, you know continental drift theory we talked about that earlier foraminifera the diversity of this hugely diverse marine organisms just went to much, much, much smaller. And just a few species remained after this impact. So this was a massive deal. So the seaway, as this was going on, eventually entirely disappeared from the region and an entirely new ecosystem gained traction.
0: Yeah. And so this is a catastrophe for the dinosaurs. (laughs) And the mammals would consider it a great opportunity because the mammals have ended up taking over the <laughs> new, all the biological niches, right? And this was the expansion of the mammals. So back to the rock record here, how we see this massive catastrophic event represented in the rock record is, first of all, there's a bunch of fossils in this entire region that represent this episode.
1: Well, I'm going to interject here, Jesse. You're right. The Badlands are one of the most prolific fossil troves Anywhere in the country. I mean, in the Badlands proper, the fossils you're going to find are mostly mammals, not dinosaurs. You have to go elsewhere to find the dinosaur fossils, but it is so incredibly rich in fossils. So sorry, I had to interject that. No, that.
0: That's absolutely true. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute or two. So the sediment, this pure shale, was exposed above sea level, exposed to the atmosphere, which induced chemical weathering, which turned this black rock into the yellow rock. And this is a really, really beautiful rock that you can see at the the base of the mid-level of most of the cliffs that you can see. It's still the pure shale, but it's weathered. It's chemically weathered. And what happens is it makes these beautiful yellow lavender colors. And it's an iron hydroxide mineral. So it's taking iron, which was in a reduced state in the black shales, and it's turning into an oxidized version, which creates these yellow minerals like goatite. It's basically rusting, except it's not red. It's (laughs) yellow of the rock layers.
1: Look at you dropping weird mineral names like Gotite. Yeah. You know, They're the, very fun nobody ones. Knows lo- hey, nobody know. knows it's what f- Gotite is. Hey, nobody knows what Gotite is. It's the well, yellow one. Hold on. It's
0: the yellow one in these rocks. Of, it's
1: great. Of our many thousands of listeners, some of them probably know what Gotite is. But
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't disrespect people. People know what Gotite I'm is, not, Chris. am
1: I'm, I'm actually – I apologize. You're going to get some
0: hate mail uh, for that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. I respect all of you. You know, the pure shale also had pyrite in it, and the pyrite is – when it chemically weathers, it turns it into this beautiful lavender and bright yellow colors. The best place to see this, because like hopefully people are going to go there, is Kanata Pass. Kanata Pass, you can see it all. You can see the pure shale and its beautifully weathered colors. And then you can see the the White River group above that, which we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes. You can see all of the formation of the Badlands really at Kanata Pass. It's an, it's an amazing place. I love that. That's my favorite place.
0: At the top of the pier shale, now we transition into a different type of deposit, a different type of sedimentary rock, and it represents a different type of environment, right? And the, the uplift of the Black Hills, which is just to the west of this region at this time, and still is to to this day. But the Black Hills uplifting allowed rivers to deposit sediment. So we have this pure shale that's exposed to the atmosphere. It's chemically weathered. Now we have sediment being deposited in this region because the Black Hills were uplifted. And so then we pushed rivers that flowed from the Black Hills east and deposited all the sediment. And I don't know, Chris, the landscape I kind of always envision with this is – uh, you know those scenes in Jurassic Park where the helicopter is like flying over the river valley and there's like all sorts of animals. They just chuck all the dinosaurs all into one image one shot in the movie all the dinosaurs you've got like all these different herds of dinosaurs migrating around as birds flying everywhere that's kind of what i envisioned except instead of dinosaurs remember dinosaurs got knocked out by this meteorite impact now it's mammals and so we have things like deer giant pigs small horses like it but this really kind of fertile flood region right is that kind of an apt description of this
1: it's very apt, but I think you shortchanged the f- biodiversity. I mean, you said we had these giant pigs and small horses. We had saber toothed cats. I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, what?
0: That's totally crazy. cool. So cool.
1: We had rhinoceros, hippopotamus, we had alligators, squirrels, burrowing organisms. The biodiversity tells us a ton about the climate, right? Like this was a warm tropical climate that existed during this time and the biology, let alone, I mean, we're, we haven't talked about fauna at all, you know, in terms of like the plant diversity that we had too, that's preserved as pollen and spores in the sedimentary rocks also like this was a much, much, much warmer climate than what we have today and and
0: wetter too. So Chris, what are the names of the sedimentary units that represent this environment we're discussing right now?
1: Yeah, I think that's important to talk about. So, you know, you said that we have the uplift of the Black Hills now that has begun due to the layer Orogeny. And go back to our Black Hills episode a few weeks prior, which talks really in detail about how the Black Hills formed. But the Black Hills are integral to the formation of Badlands. So about like 60 miles west of the Badlands. And when you're sitting at Kanata Pass, looking down on the pier shale and all these other layers of rock that you can see, on a clear day, on a dry day, you can see the outline of the Black Hills. And it is so cool.
0: <laughs>
1: so they're uplifting. I mean, the, the extent of the uplift was in excess of 15,000 feet. So as they were uplifting, the granite that was exposed there with these rocks was getting shed off by these mountain streams. And they were flowing towards what is now the Badlands. And so what did this look like at the time, right? We talked about this shallow sea that existed here. That's easy to envision. We'll now envision mountains rising to the west, streams coming off and slowing in what are now the Badlands. So that makes this a floodplain deposit. And so you have these rivers that are slowing down, depositing clay, silt, and sometimes even sand, which is higher energy. And they formed these layers that are called the shadron and the brule. The shadron is right on top of the pier shale, and the brule is on top of the shadron. They have slightly different characteristics. This is where rivers were slowing down and depositing sediment in a typical floodplain, which is also why Jesse, why we have so many fossils here. So Jesse, I want—I'm going to defer to you on this. Why do fossils equate to a floodplain?
0: Well, floodplains are very actually sort of fairly dynamic environments for biological diversity. There's just loads of animal life there, but they're also kind of traumatic environments too. You have floods <laughs> in a floodplain, and floods can very easily <laughs> come through and take out a bunch of animals and deposit them all in one spot. So you could have, you know, floods are really treacherous things that happen right and so it's easy to kill a, a herd of stuff and dump all the bodies in one location bury them under a bunch of sediments so it's anoxic and those bodies don't decompose quickly eventually that gets turned to rock and that's one way to form a lot of fossils in a floodplain region but chris you talked about this and this is a, a rock feature that we often see is what's called paleosols, and that's just paleosol ancient soil and and you, you touched on this, that in this floodplain region, you have a bunch of stuff deposited, but in a floodplain, you also have soil exposed at the surface and rock exposed to, again, atmospheric chemical weathering, which creates an ancient soil environment. And there are loads of these preserved along with lots of other classic geological features, which maybe we can go through those really quickly, Chris. Like, What are some other classic features that we see?
1: Well, first of all, I just want to talk about the paleosols. I envision a rhinoceros walking up to the river dipping his head down to to get a little sip of water and then just getting demolished by this <laughs> flood that comes ripping down the, you know the valley and You know, just kills the rhinoceros and and buries the rhinoceros because that's usually how fossils are preserved. Is they need to be killed and buried. And well, let me let
0: let me say something about that. I mean, (laughs) I remember the fossils are everywhere. We didn't really you harp on this point, but we need to harp on this point because fossils are everywhere in the badlands. I remember walking along in on a hike with you, uh, you know, as part of the class, and you just see pig fossils laying there right next to you. You're walking along this beautiful- Jaw bones all over the place. Yeah, everywhere. And they're just all over the place. It's really just an unbelievable place. If you just go for anything more, just go for a mile hike anywhere, and you're basically always going to see a fossil, and they always kind of erode positively out. So they kind of are on the top of little mounds, but they're still in place. And it's just that they're a little bit more resistant to weathering than the clay rock around them. And so they weather out a little bit positively, but they're just all- over the place it's spectacular and there's a really famous one called the pig dig i remember that because it's like a whole herd of pigs that were like buried and fossilized they call it the pig dig it's great a massive I love that flood name.
1: wiped out a whole herd of pigs yeah uh,
0: that's amazing, right i do want to
1: say though that you know get out and explore the badlands you're going to see fossils galore right don't collect them
0: oh absolutely like, not no 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 you no, never,
1: never you don't do that it's it's so tempting but one, it's wrong, like really wrong, and don't do that. Yeah. And two is you can pay a massive fine. I mean, they really, really monitor for this. Okay, so the Shadron on top of the pier. The Shadron is like this shaly, sandy mixture. The sand that's in the shale allows water to percolate more, and so the weathering is different there. On top of the Shadron is the Brule, and the Brule has... Very little sand in it actually, and more clay, which makes it shed water like a roof. And so this is the stuff that tends to form the peaks and the shadron below it forms like these hummocky, like swell and swale kind of thing. But here's what happens when the brule falls on top of the shadron, it forms a toadstool or a mushroom rock. Okay, where you get this, the brule, which is much tougher and more resistant, doesn't allow water to percolate through it, sits on, lands like a thud on top of the Shadron, then it forms this like really narrow pedestal and forms really cool formations. You alluded to it because it's one of your favorite in Nebraska, I think, right? Total yeah, steel yeah, yeah, that's legs. right.
0: That's right. And there's several other features. The most interesting, I think, is clastic dikes. So we've talked about fossils, we've talked about paleosols, we've talked about mushroom rocks. Clastic dikes are this really interesting phenomenon. We often think in geology of dikes as being igneous rocks. So think of a igneous rock intrudes across a sedimentary layer. So it pumps a bunch of magma through a sediment. It forms a vein, basically, of magma, which we call a dike if it's big enough. That crystallizes and sits there. And, and then we have this igneous rock cross-cutting a sedimentary rock. Now, clastic dikes are sedimentary rocks cross-cutting other sedimentary rocks. And there's two Different ways that they can form. Both of them are realistic. One is if you have a water-packed sediment sitting down underneath That's of a other sediment. That's a funny way of putting
1: it, by the way. What's just that? Just going to say both of these are realistic.
0: Yeah. And well, here I go. Here <laughs> I go. Now, it's just funny. Sit down, yeah. shut up, and listen to that. me, Chris. I'm going to lecture <laughs> to you. <laughs> And I don't want to hear any interruptions out of you either. Uh,
1: okay. you, uh, I love interrupting you, and you hate it when I interrupt you. Like I Well,
0: I, here's the thing. <laughs> I have a relatively simple mind that... <laughs> no, you do not. That is a bold-faced lie right there. Okay, well, if oh, I get distracted, God. it's very hard for me to recover to what I was thinking <laughs> about beforehand. So. I don't you like have a one track mind.
1: That is not a simple mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, is, those are two have, different things.
0: I have a very one track <laughs> mind. So, where was I? Anyways, I was on to something really important. I had something important to say, and you distracted me from
1: it. Uh, well, sorry. I well, fell asleep. So, anyways, i can't help you.
0: We're talking about what no, are we talking go about? The Badlands. Wait,
1: well,
0: I don't actually, I honestly don't remember. What was I talking about?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know, Jesse, because I was thinking about how rambly you were getting. Yeah, I I'm pretty I'm rambly. Interrupt him.
0: Pale- Paleosols or something. Oh, classic dykes. That's it. Oh, classic dykes. Classic yeah. dykes. Okay, classic oh, yeah. dykes. Two how they're, ways. They're both, that's
1: where they're, both where they're both reasonable. They're both reasonable. They're both reasonable. They're
0: both reasonable things to see. Kay. Yeah. So, classic dykes. <laughs> These are sedimentary rocks crosscutting <laughs> other sedimentary rocks. Two ways to form them. One way, to have a water rich sediment that's buried under other sediments. So think of something that's packed full of water, really kind of a squishy, think of a water bed. really. If you pack enough stuff, layer up enough stuff on top of a water bed, eventually that water layer is going to rupture and it's going to squirt water up, right? The pressure releases upward. And basically if you have a sediment filled with water down deep and you layer on top stuff, that pressure is going to build up. You layer more on, pressure is going to build up. Eventually that'll break the seal and the sediment and water will flow up into a crack. And you can kind of get that. It's just the sort of diking type of thing. This Number two, if you have a sediment layer sitting there, a bunch of sedimentary rocks, if you pull them apart with some extensional force, they create cracks and joints in the rock. And then if wind or sand blows into those cracks, it'll fill up the cracks with sand or wind or other sediment. And those will form eventually sedimentary rock that is cross-cutting other ones so there's this sort of bottom up or top down formation for clastic dikes and there's some great examples in the badlands because the clastic dikes weather out positively chris and so i remember these hikes where you can kind of see you there's this little cliff or ridge running along and then you get to the end of the ridge and you look at it and it's a clastic dike the ridge is there because there's a different rock type that's more resistant that you were walking along the whole way and you only see it when you see the end of it do you remember what color they are? Are they are they like a bluish or or sort of grayish? Is that what the green? I don't know something They're along more those green. lines. they green. green. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. a
1: greenish gray. Um. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I remember your group actually. Um. We <laughs> go on this little hike. It's like our first introductory. It's not. I, I can't even call it a hike. It's like a walk.
0: Yeah. Um. It's pretty. It's tame. maybe
1: a mile. It is really tame, but it's kind of cool because. You know, we're walking through the Brule Formation, which sits on top of the Shadron. So it's got more resistant nature anyway. And then this is where the clastic dikes are, which you said are more resistant. So they form the Peaks and Pinnacles. So it's it's a pretty spectacular, like, geologically,
0: differentially
1: weathered feature. Totally cool. And we get there to the end of it. I'm like, all right, what, what have you guys seen? And you guys are like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. What did we see, Mr. Boyce? I was pissed. I'm like, son of a bitch. Guys, we just walked through an area that is uh, like you're walking through gigantic sandcastles and you didn't notice a thing. So I called you guys accidental tourists, and I think I berated you a little bit. Did I, is that I right? Think so. ber- <laughs> I think so. I think so. You
0: you gave us a pretty good speech, if I remember correctly. And I'm sure you've given that speech to many groups before and after ours. It seemed no, well practiced.
1: You guys were the worst. So. <laughs> the worst. Anyway, okay.
0: There are so many things to see in the Badlands. And the yeah. thing about the Badlands is you can see almost all of them with like a couple hikes you don't need to go on massive huge Mm day-long treks to see this stuff it's everywhere because this floodplain area that deposited all this stuff it's so vast but it it kind of forms these little areas where you know the river bend will deposit one type and then the other the inside of the outside of river bend will deposit different types of sediment so basically as you're walking down here you see all different types of stuff on all the hikes and so It's kind of a place you don't need to spend a week in the Badlands to see all the geology. You can see all the different types of geology in a day or two, probably. And there's very cool stuff. So you got to spend some time there.
1: Easily a day. And I would recommend, especially if you can drop a car or spot a car, is to do the castle trail. It walks you right through the heart of the Badlands. It's a five-mile one-way, so that's why I said spot a car if, because then it's just a five-mile hike. It's relatively flat. It's pretty well marked. But if you can't, it's worth the 10-mile because you're going to see things in reverse then. Because it's just an out and back then. It's awesome. Um, So look it up. One other thing I want to say, the popcorn weathering is a pretty cool feature that you can see, especially in the shadrin formation, which is where the water percolates down through the shale, sandy shale a little bit, and then it dries. So the shale expands and then dries and cracks. And so you can literally bend down and scoop it up with your hands. And it it, it, literally, you'll have a wad full of this shaley clay sandstone in your hands. That looks like popcorn and it just sheds like crazy. And so this is one of the reasons why the Badlands erode so fast is because of the popcorn weathering kind of nature too. So that's, that's another pretty cool feature that you can see there. So.
0: So, Chris, we've covered a lot of the rocks. We've covered a lot of the features. We have one last event to get Mm -hmm. us to where we are today. And
1: so, Jesse, one other thing, though, that's on top of the Brule and these clastic dikes is related to volcanic activity in actually what is now Nevada. So you had these volcanoes that were erupting that were depositing thick layers of ash. And then also the streams from, you know, because remember, this is still a floodplain. Streams are depositing this ashy layer, which formed this like brilliantly white ashy cap on top of the brule. So that's the most recent sedimentary rock layer that you're going to find in the Badlands. So we have, again, the Pier shale, the chadron, the brule, and you have this volcanic ash layer on top that is a, a, like it's bright white. You can't miss it. And those are the rocks that we typically see in the Badlands National Park. And there's one
0: final geologic step to get us to where we are today. We have these rocks being deposited, this ancient floodplain environment with some ash being deposited on top of that. You know, that's not what we see today. So, what we need is uplift. We need more uplift to get these rocks exposed above. I mean, we need to get these rocks lifted up so that they can be eroded. And this is what's called stream rejuvenation. And this is basically reactivating the stream's down cutting force. So a stream, if it has lots of elevation loss, if it's a steep gradient, it wants to cut down and you sort of reactivate that to make the stream cut down more. And that's what really drives this really rapid erosion. What did you say, Chris? Eight, eight? was it eight inches per year? Up to eight inches. It depends on where
1: you are. Yeah. So
0: that's that is such a fast erosion rate. (laughs) You know, that's not going on in a floodplain environment that you have to have uplift to do that. And so the climate has shifted gradually in the last 500,000 years, the last half a million years, and regional uplift has rejuvenated these streams such that you can have such a rapid erosion rate going on to form badlands. Because remember that erosion rate is part of what defines badlands, lowercase b, badlands.
1: That's right. The streams had to shift from a depositional personality to an erosional personality. And they did that through uplift that changed the slope or the grading of the rivers. It changed the velocity of it and it turned it into down cutting, which turned
0: into erosion. So that's the story of the Badlands. And if you're, you know, envisioning this and thinking, wow, I really got to go there. Chris Bullhuis yeah, is your guy. You and you can just envision Chris is <laughs> out there right now. All right, Chris, you're out there hanging out with 26 high schoolers, teaching them all this stuff over the next couple of days. You're probably not even
1: being accidental tourists. you
0: probably right. even giving them a really good lecture about that right at the moment <laughs> as we're uh, releasing this episode. So go to the Badlands. It's great. It's a great warm up for you know, the real hard rock geology stuff we get out of the sediments. As soon as you hit the Rocky mountains, right. you, you see and so. I
1: are hard rock guys for sure. Yeah. We really yeah. like
0: that stuff. So, but the Badlands are That's amazing, right. amazing place. You can see so much interesting geology in a one mile hike. It's, it's probably, uh-huh. you know, one of the more geologically dense uh, places to see stuff. So go to the Badlands. It's beautiful. Excellent place. Follow us on all the social medias. We're at Planet Geocast. Send us an email. Smash that like, subscribe button on your podcast and leave us a review and a five-star rating. That really, really helps the algorithm. If you didn't know that already, I'm sure you do, but that really helps us. We appreciate that. Great.
1: And share our podcast with other people that may or may not like our planet.
0: (laughs) <laughs> that's right, and people who like to just travel around our planet. Because if we're they, gonna...
1: yeah, because if they don't like it, then they need to like it, and they'll like it by listening to us.
0: So that's yeah. right, that's right. And that's right. next week we are going to have an episode on Devil's Tower. We're going to keep in this theme of following Chris along the Summer Science Institute field geology course, and uh, we're going to talk about Devil's <laughs> Tower next week. So tune in for that. Take care. Cheers.